and welcome to Money Matters TV, our segment called Growth Stories, where we hear from entrepreneurs and advisors sharing their secrets and advice on what business, eater, business leaders need to know to grow. Today, I'm your host, Rhea Beers, first vice president with CBRE. CBRE is the world's largest commercial real estate firm, and we offer a number of integrated um, services, including advisory and transactions. From time to time, financial issues relating to life sciences, healthcare, or technology matters and companies may be discussed on the show. These discussions are not and should not be viewed as financial advice. Moreover, since this program is pre-recorded and shown at a later date, please keep in mind that information may no longer be current. You should always check with your financial advisor before entering into any financial transaction. I lead CBRE's technology and media practice in Philadelphia, and I'm thrilled to hear from entrepreneurs who are growing their businesses. Further, I've enjoyed uh, my time over the past 10 years of supporting Tech Girls, an organization that exposes middle school-aged girls to careers in technology. During the COVID-19 global pandemic, companies are suffering from the same uncertainty as we are in our personal lives. Is it safe to re-enter the workplace? What does that look like? How do you maintain your company culture while doing it? At CBRE, we are having these conversations daily. I am excited to introduce our guest today, an entrepreneur who has a deep understanding of education and healthcare, alongside an uncanny ability to identify business opportunities in those spaces, as well as rally folks around her to act on those ideas. But before we introduce her, we have a question from one of our viewers. Judy Lehman from Philadelphia would like to know, what are some commercial real estate ideas to use in an opportunity zone? Um, to back up a bit, uh, an opportunity, the opportunity zones were established by the U.S. Treasury Department back at the end of 2017 um, to really bring economic stimulus to certain census tracts that were identified by governors in each state. Um, so how you can invest in them is through opportunity funds where the real benefit is tax deferral on capital gains. Um, it depends on how long you hold the property, but typically that's the best route of, of going to the opportunity zones. It's always great to hear from our viewers. To submit for a future show, here's how to send your questions to Money Matters TV. You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matters-tv.com. On our homepage, click on the banner on the right that says, Send Us Your Questions. While you're on our website, you can find information about our hosts and guests, as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows. Money Matters is also available as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen to Money Matters while you're on the go. That website address, again, is money, M-O-N-E-Y, dash matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, TV dot com. Whether working in higher education to make change or starting a business, our guest today is passionate about the intersection of technology with education and healthcare. I'm pleased to welcome to Growth Stories, Karen Jenkins, CEO of Kitalytics. Thanks for joining me today on Growth Stories, Karen. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Um, Karen, so thanks for joining us. It's great. We have benefits to taping remotely since you sit in Illinois right now. Yes. Um, 
So I'd love to start by hearing about your early business endeavors. Yes. So I think it started early on, not even just knowing it was business endeavors. So my first actual business endeavor was being a co-founder of Peer Health Educators of Plainfield, which was a peer health um, non-for-profit that helped other other teens discuss um, better behavioral practices, whether it be um, drugs and alcohol, sexual activities, and where we just really was out in the community in partnership with different organizations and getting funding from them and support. So that was my first real um, step into entrepreneurship. And then just having access to other programs and different things like that. And then Throughout college, I was doing independent um, tutoring. So I would have kids that had IEPs. So that was very like um, introduction to more hardcore of the education side from having that experience in high school. And then it just kind of furthered along. I don't think I set out to be an entrepreneur. Um, It just really kind of just fell on me in different aspects of my life as I grew and as I learned. So um, it's been a very good journey getting to here. Um, And then also just um, after college, going into non-for-profit, that's another um, sector I went into as far as mental health and providing behavioral health care within homes for um, children that were coming out of psychiatric hospitals. So I had different goals in different settings that we would have to, um, you know, recreate and also goals that they would have to obtain and then collect that. And with the team, they will have their psychiatrists, their therapists, their counselors, and, you know, just collectively just helping the kids to be reintroduced back into the homes. So I think a combination of all that has brought me to Kidalytics because through all of that, it has been data and just even just education and learning. So I think entrepreneurship kind of just was always there. It was just the process of learning and different things. Yeah, it seems to be such a theme with our guests that there's so much curiosity at a young age and a yearning to really do something, right? To take action on these ideas. And I mean, you fit the bill. So let's go a little further back and talk about who were your influencers, you know, when you were growing up to pose you point you in this direction. Yeah, so I would say my family and I would say a combination of them first, just because kids do what they see others do. Um, not so much what you say, but it's really what you do. So I think having that early on, starting just from the foundation of my grandparents, my grandmother was a teacher. Also, everyone seems to be a seamstress. They just know how to do all these fabulous things. So um, even aside from just doing their regular jobs, you know, that was always income as well. And my grandfather, he was um, a postman and also started one of the first um, unions in the post office in Chicago. So like just seeing that, and he he always had businesses. And my aunts, my father, um, my uncles, it just became a thing, even where I grew up in Louisiana um, on the property, even though I was born in Chicago, Mm-hmm. That property was there from 1800s, like late 1800s, early 1900s from my grandparents, my great grandparents, because they actually would um, they had farms and other lands and they would butcher 
um, different livestock and then dry it and sell it. So it's all those things, I think, just by doing, seeing it and even just that generation and then coming back into like current times and my aunts, uncles, fathers and everybody, you know, giving that to me. I think that has been um, the inspiration for me. Yeah, lots of hustle. Yes, it's yes. all around. Yeah, that's fantastic. So everything you're you're talking about here really is this real focus on social work, right? Yes. You you developed an interest of communities and the social aspects of these problems. Tell us about the path your education took after high school. Yeah. So after high school, I went. Um, I moved to Philadelphia. So um, I lived in Philadelphia for two years. While I was there, I ran drug and alcohol clinics still within that social work, mental health, because I studied psychology in undergrad. Um, but I initially thought of social work going into um, university. But I, I kind of like changed up a little bit because I wanted to go more into the research. So after that, those jobs went more into mental health. And just like like you said, trying to help people find and trying to find solutions. So I did that. And then that led to just really um, going into public health now because I kind of was putting everything together and then just going into information systems and the technology because that's where the world was going. We are so data-driven. And I was like, if I'm going to be effective to help people, what is going on? We're collecting so much data, but what are we doing mm -hmm. with it? So then that led to those things. And even just going through, I knew I wanted to go to medical school. I knew <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but then going there, actually going through the process and having now all these experiences of, you know, doing research in labs, having ran programs because I didn't go in there um, just freshly, just straight through school. I had a whole career as a social worker and from the state of New Jersey, running my own businesses and different things. So it kind of became like, okay, I think I can do more, but I need the technology because slowly it was merging into medicine, but that's not what I was being taught. So in the midst of all of that, I started doing, um, I got a scholarship and I got my master's in information systems and social work. And that led to just me more diving into that data and being able to find those solutions that would help um, communities from education to healthcare to business, because you got to understand the business practice and concepts to actually be effective as well. Yeah, no, and, and that makes sense. And it sounds like when you were in medical school, you had an inflection point before you made your way towards that MBA. And that was that was the combination. Was, was there one specific instance that you can point to during your fellowship that that drove you to go into the business side of things? Or was it just the culmination of a lot of things? I think it was a combination of a lot of things moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, the medicine really, really was um, very good. And it's still a good background that I still use in everything mm -hmm. I do because I'm a researcher. You can't get right. away from it. So which has been pivotal. So regardless of um, obtaining the degree, I still use the knowledge. And sometimes that's the divide, the knowledge far as 
you know medicine, but you don't know public health. You don't know um, information systems or how to analyze the data. And that's something that I even experienced while doing the MD, MPH route and still mm -hmm. doing medical school that they don't talk the same, you know, mm -hmm. unless it's kind of merged. So it, it kind of became that, um, that intersect and, okay, where can I be more productive? And I thought because I was getting all of this knowledge and along with the technology, because here we are with telemedicine and I've been talking about mm -hmm. telemedicine um, for four or five years, keeping up with licensures, keeping up um, with who's writing the laws for those things. So, you know, it's just an evolution of so many things that, you know, that that just has gotten to this point to kind of with the education point to package it up because it never was one program. So, but now we have the programs where technology and medicine have merged. So I would say if it was probably, um, if if back then that was the case, I think I probably would have, you know, pushed forward because it wouldn't just be one discipline. Mm -hmm. But instead of pushing forward, what you saw, we had talked about the series of interviews you had yes. that you kept, finding that data gap, right? And yes. and people weren't asking for what they needed. No. So did you, did you did you take a job and try to bridge that gap or is that when you started Kitalytics? Yes, yeah, so I as in my job search, I was looking at that I was getting a lot of no's and a lot of yes. And then also too within that job process of just interviewing, um not really knowing what they wanted. Um, and then just where I fit and it kind of sometimes became me interviewing them more so mm -hmm. and giving them questions. I know they probably was going to ask and follow up with the next person, but they still didn't understand or know what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So I did start working as a contractor for um, um, Center for Medicaid Services. Um, and that was very good experience, but it was just me. Um, other people were um, Indian. And then so within that gap, I started to see even doing other contract um, gigs on the side and just being in the business kind of scenes. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of women and ex and especially black women. So, yeah. you know, and even black male talent, I can say as well. So and I just start seeing that it wasn't the lack of we have the skills is just the access to gain all the skills. So that's when I start thinking about Kitalytics, start developing it. And then mm -hmm. it really became reality just like right before COVID. But it was in the process of being launched, but just in a different format. And then I had to kind of switch like, am I going to do it or not? And I was like, you know what, just do it. Everyone's in the house. We're using technology. That's what she was talking about anyway. I was like, you know, just bet on yourself. And this is how we have come to here. Yeah, and it, it's fantastic. It's just so much fun to hear about this. And one of the topics that was so interesting to me was not only that you were bridging that gap in, in actual um, ability, right, and experience, but exposure. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about who your audience is for Kitalytics and you know what what you're teaching them and then also that exposure component. I think you said it as pipeline of possibilities, yes. which I loved. So my 
my target is kids who just want to explore and find out some of the tools that they use. Like, I'm not saying you go and create and build an iPhone or you build a whole app right now, but understand the intricate parts in developing that app and the things that is tracking you too. Because once you start thinking about that, then you want to know how to build it so it can do what you want it to do. But to me, that is the basis of everything. What is it doing? What is it collecting? How are we getting to these things? So in this, that possibility and those things that sparks different things and interests, whether it be, as we know, is different levels of jobs and descriptions. That's why we have, you know, managers, um, different specialists, um, analysts. That's why we have these titles because it's different levels of skills. So mm -hmm. it's the same thing with skills when you're building, but the foundation of how much data we have to build those pipelines of possibilities with other programs to be able to connect that we have to have the foundation first to understand the basis of what is data? Where is it coming from? Because I don't think we explain that enough to the point that we have a generation that can't even really um, read a spreadsheet. And we, we need to kind of start doing that a little bit earlier than just when we get our first job in college or just when we have um, a small project in school. I think that's just important as pumping the STEM um, programs because mm -hmm. we can code in everything, but do you understand the analytics to go in those different programs to code? And those are the possibilities that has gotten us to AI, machine learning, um, building these supernatural cars. You know, when we look at Tesla, Tesla is a product of so many analytics, you know, the space launch, and those are the things I want kids to get excited about because it's the possibilities and you don't have to be this mad math scientist because <laughs> you work on teams. And it's like understanding that, hey, you can still be a part of creating that. And that's those pipeline of possibilities that can go anywhere. Yeah. And I love that. So not only do you take and you you look at the problem of solving the, the gap in technology jobs, right? but you're also taking kids who may not have any idea that this exists for them and giving them the aptitude and the platform to jump from. But the really interesting thing to me is you're still solving a social problem, right? Yes. Talk about that gap in technology and what this gives the kids that you're working with. So that gap in technology, and I would say this too, because I just started classes um, this week and mm -hmm. One thing that I've learned, and this is why it's so great that it's kids from different states. Some kids are not even getting instructions virtually or in class. They're just picking up packets. And that's something that's not really being talked about. So with those gaps, Kidalytics is giving those gaps because you're not getting any in-school instruction, but you're bright. You wanna know what's going on. You're using technology more than ever. You're even taking those surveys. So that's what um, Kidalytics is serving those kids in those gaps. And also too, I have other kids that would love to do the program, but then we have these other gaps and far as they don't have the technology. So you may have four other siblings at home and you only have two computers. 
you have to kind of switch off and doing homework. And kids are not adults. It's not like you have the computer this two <laughs> hours, you have it those three hours. And you know, and it's like, I kind of smile because I have to without crying about this because <laughs> we live in a world where I know we have enough computers to give these kids, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and a cell phone is not a technology source to do your homework. No, it's not, that's right. Um, so this, one of my favorite parts of, of talking to you right now in Kidalytics is that you really just launched. And a lot of times we're talking to entrepreneurs who have already closed out or, or exited their businesses, but this is offering us the opportunity to understand how you're gonna grow your business. So talk to me about how you're actually getting to the kids. Is it direct model? Are you talking to school systems? What's, what's the process you're taking now? So the process I took first off was I start reaching out to all my contacts that I had. And even my team that's working with me, they reached out to their contacts. So that's how he first started doing it because um, it seemed like everyone had a touch in education or not too far from education. So um, that was a great, great start. And then also to just internet marketing. Um, Facebooks and different things, and even word of mouth, and just sending flyers to different um, organizations as well as I just kind of progressed in the different groups that I'm in. I haven't touched everybody because you know how that goes. It's a lot when you have these lists, so you have to pace yourself. But that has been um, proven to be wonderful and just getting the media attention from the different segments that I have been on far as the news and different write-ups. And that has been proven pivotal. Um, and just also to understanding that my classes in the summer could not be the same size as we're going into the school year because it's different stressors, different responsibilities and different structures, even in households. So, mm -hmm. you know, just factoring in some of those things um, but that is how I've been getting to my um, target customers and just certain things in the work moving forward in the next couple of weeks where having parents focus groups to explain this whole process of what analytics is. Because sometimes it's hard for a parent to understand that, hey, my kid future job does not exist. How do I prepare them for this? And just mm -hmm. even getting them to understand some of those um, little things but i think it takes that conversation to start um parents to even open up to those possibilities because these kids will build the new world that we're moving forward in yeah absolutely and and one of the things that's interesting to me is that you're oftentimes bringing on guest speakers um can you just yeah. talk about what kinds of guest speakers you're having for the exposure components yes. So the guest speakers are, like I said, those possibilities. So mm -hmm. that is what our guest speakers are. Possibilities actually in movement. Possibilities that kids will um, see these speakers in Kidalytics. And who knows, three years from now, um, four years from now, they'll be like, hey, I remember hearing about that because that is how it goes before you even see anything come to market is always in the background, whether it's a research paper, um, a, a store, a school, whatever. I think those possibilities to know that, hey, these are the steps you take, even though you don't know all of them, it's possible to get 
to take steps to actually bring something to reality. So those are what the speakers bring because they come from different industries, venture capitalists, um, farmers, architects. Um, so it's kind of, I try to frame the speakers too, to some of the kids interests and in, as well. So I keep, um, I keep acts out there just so I can be like, okay, a kid likes this. Let me kind of spark something in there because we can say we want to be an astronaut, you know, and a kid may not really want to be the astronaut who actually go in space, but you know what? He might actually be one of the components, build one of the components to actually get the spacecraft right. to do something it never did before. So it's those possibilities. Yeah, that's fantastic. So what advice would you give um, budding entrepreneurs right now? I would say um, be humble, take no's um, gracefully, and also be able to take criticism because I think that is the biggest key. Take criticism because you know what? It opens that door up for people to even tell you their stories um, of how they may have took a wrong turn or felt at something, but you won't get that information if you're not open to taking your own criticism because that is kind of a personal um, journey too. Mm -hmm. So I think those things and just ask questions um, keep learning and whatever you do, um, as I have always tried to do, whatever you're learning, even if someone doesn't understand it, understand it, make sure it ties to the things that you have already built. It's kind of like, just keep building your toolbox, building your toolbox. And you don't have to be an expert at everything, but mm -hmm. build your toolbox. That's great advice. Um, so we're getting to the end of the show. I wanna ask you, what books can you recommend for our viewers? Yes, I would recommend Algorithms of Oppression by mm -hmm. Safani Noel, and I would recommend Race After Technology by Ruma Benjamin. Those are two mm -hmm. great books because it really tells you about the social injustices in algorithms, as well as how they surveillance us. Um, so I think it's just a combination of this big data, little data today, because today we have big data, but today's big data is tomorrow's small data. So, you know, it just really shows you how that is building. That's great. Karen, thanks so much for joining Growth Stories segment of Money Matters TV. Our yeah. next guest on Money Matters TV is Ken Myers, owner of Apex Leadership Company. As a reminder, you can download the podcast from iTunes, and Stitcher, as well as see programs on YouTube channel of Money Matters TV. Thank you for joining Growth Stories.